With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. The Leslie Marshall Show. A true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, and a news uh, political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, Pulse Form designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or you have any questions or ideas for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is BradBannon, all one word. Welcome to all of you uh, watching on Twitter or Periscope. Now you can watch the show by going to the link periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, uh, our guest in the first half hour is Sean Zeller, deputy editor of CQ magazine. Then it will be time for the provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour with political comedian Tara Devlin and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Sean, welcome to Deadline DC. Thanks for having me, Brad. I appreciate it. Uh, let's start with this. Uh, you wrote a column which is in roll call today uh, about the partisan divisions over the uh, pandemic crisis. Uh, you note there are a couple of uh, 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 sources of tension between the two parties. Uh, Democrats uh, want to uh, uh, be very healthish, uh, conscious of health concerns before we reopen the economy fully. Uh, Republicans believe that if we wait too much longer to uh, open up the economy, it will uh, bring economic disaster. Uh, then there's a partisan division on uh, the need for a new uh, pandemic stimulus package. Uh, let's start with that. Uh, it seems to me, if you look at the national polls, uh, Americans want to be very cautious about reopening the economy. Uh, basically, uh, depending on which survey you look at, anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of the American public uh, want to be very cautious uh, reopening the economy uh, because of the concerns about the pandemic. 
so uh, the Republicans, as we, as you said in your column, are very cautious. Aren't they at risk of running against the tide of public opinion uh, by pushing so strongly for reopening of the economy? Well, I think there are some of the facts on the ground are running against both parties on this. As you say, the Democrats want to be most cautious about reopening the economy and most careful about the lives that could be lost with reopening, that people, more people could get infected with the disease. And as a result, they're willing to spend the money to keep Americans afloat, uh, to extend those unemployment benefits that are now scheduled to expire at the end of July to send another round of cash payments to Americans to help them pay for food and their rent and their mortgage. Republicans see the economic disaster uh, as bigger and as uh, becoming untenable if we continue with the, with the shutdown. And they don't see government aid as being able to keep people afloat. They don't see it as being able to save careers that may be lost to um, give people the fulfillment that they get from going to work, uh, simply living on the government's uh, largesse. So uh, some of the facts on the ground uh, run against each party. I mean, the Democrats have some of their own governors who are moving to reopen. Um, you had, for example, Laura Kelly in Kansas and Jared Polis in Colorado, both of whom haven't met the standard of 14 days of declining cases who are moving to reopen. They're, they're clearly feeling some pressure from their citizens to do so. But on the other hand, the Republicans are contradicting the advice of the, the Trump administration's own coronavirus task force, which set that 14-day standard. And their unwillingness to extend additional relief to Americans also contradicts the position of their own president, who wants it to provide a payroll tax break. Um, so it's a, how the politics works out. I'm not sure yet. Okay. Uh, let me ask you, uh, this, uh, maybe it's because of my advanced age. Uh, but you know, I'd like to dream of a day when there was a crisis facing the United States and the parties could work come together uh, to work for, you know, the common good. Uh, am I just being romantic here or is that just totally out of place in today's divisive political environment? Um, it's a little, I, I'll say it's a little disturbing um, to see politics and partisanship reemerging as quickly as it has when we are still really immersed in this crisis. That said, I mean, the first four coronavirus relief bills passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. So there was a period of time running from mid-March to, say, the end of April, where the parties did come together. But since that time, the they've gone back to their partisan camps. And I guess if we look back in history, it does seem unusually quickly to go back to partisan camps. If you think back to uh, the 2008-2009 recession, for example, there was partisanship there. I mean, there was fighting over uh, providing relief to the automobile companies. There was fighting over the TARP bill. But the president, George W. Bush, was willing to bring along, ultimately, Republicans in Congress to, that, to, to provide that relief. 
And it doesn't seem like this time there's that sort of leadership at the top that's able to transcend the partisanship in Congress. Well, that brings up an interesting point, Sean. I mean, I've always felt that if you look at American political history, uh, the president's role in a time of crisis is try to bring Americans together. Uh, but the president seems to be preoccupied uh, with striking out at his enemies. Uh, and, you know, a good example of that is uh, he has and running a he has started a feud uh, which with Barack Obama. Uh, and it seems to me this is one. And, you know, the, you know, uh, yesterday uh, over the weekend, the President Obama gave former President Obama gave a speech to high school and college graduates talking about the need to bring uh, things to get uh, people uh, together. Uh, right after that, the president tweeted uh, simply that Obama was an incompetent president. Uh, and shouldn't Trump be trying to find common ground to bring Americans together at a time of crisis? I think the president, I mean, we know what we're getting with President Trump. He won election in 2016 uh, with a political model that was based on dividing Americans and really reducing interest in the election um, by making it an election of the base. And his hope, I think, is to fire up that group of 35, 40 percent of Americans who are in his corner and get them out to elect to to reelect him in November. I mean, we're only months away now from election. So I think, you know, those instincts of his are even more in play at the moment than they might normally be. So it's terrible timing so far as dealing with a national crisis goes to butt up against his political instincts in an election year. Yeah, you're probably right about that, but I think it's uh, an example of the president putting his own political interest ahead of what's good for the nation at a time of crisis. We're going to go to break now. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, and our guest, uh, Sean Editor, uh, Sh Sean Zeller, Deputy Editor of Congressional Quarterly. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after these messages. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Sean Zella who is the deputy editor of CQ Magazine and has his own uh, podcast uh, that I see on Facebook on Fridays. I was on a couple of times. I enjoyed it, so you may want to uh, check it out. On the, I suppose you can find it on the CQ website, among other places. Uh, let's uh, try this, uh, Sean. Uh, let's go back to Congress. Uh is there any likelihood uh, that uh, the Senate will pass any kind of uh, new uh, pandemic relief package? As we said in the first segment, the House did uh, last week. Uh, 
the uh, majority leader, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, has said that he's in no hurry uh, to do anything. Do you think eventually there'll be some kind of package? I do. I do think there will be. It'll be much more limited than what the House passed last week. I don't know if it will include additional checks for Americans. I don't know if it'll include extended unemployment benefits, for example. But I do think it'll have two pieces. I think the Republicans have, uh, McConnell has made it clear that he wants liability protections for businesses that are reopening, schools that are reopening, uh, so that they can't be sued if a customer or an employee contracts the virus. Now, they say it will be limited, that it would be uh, it would expire at the end of the crisis, that there would be exceptions for gross negligence. If you were grossly negligent, you could still be sued and that companies and schools would have to take certain steps to, you know, clean their facilities, implement some social distancing to qualify for the liability protections. But McConnell's calling that his red line. And I suspect that there could be a deal struck with Democrats uh, for some liability protections in exchange for aid to states. Now, McConnell said, oh, the states can declare bankruptcy and blue states haven't been fiscally prudent and so they, they shouldn't be bailed out. But I, I believe he's posturing there because there are some Republican-led states that are also in very dire situation because of the declining sales tax revenue and declining other sources of revenue because of the pandemic. So I see their potential for a deal there. Yeah, it seems to me. Well, let me ask you another question about that. Do you think uh, in the House version there is another twelve hundred dollar uh, cash payment uh, to Americans? Do you think uh, any anything like that will come out of the Senate version, too? I'm not sure. I mean, I suspect um, there will be pressure to do that because President Trump, with his reelection looming, uh, likes the idea of putting additional cash into Americans' pockets. You'll recall that everyone who got the $1,200 check also got a letter from President Trump saying, you know, I'm giving you this check. <laughs> and those who received a paper check as opposed to a direct deposit, it was signed by President Trump. So he really found that to be politically advantageous, and I can see him making a case for it. But I think Republicans in the Senate are feeling more fiscally uh, skeptical of things like that. I mean, many people still do have their jobs. And so giving them a $1,200 check may not make sense. It may make sense to direct that aid into to people who are truly in a, in a bad situation. Uh, let's uh, go back to the subject of your column uh, in Roll Call today on political divisions. Uh, CNN uh, released a, a new national poll over the weekend, uh, and there was good news and bad news in it for Joe Biden. Uh, the good news was nationally, uh, Joe Biden had a, a five-point lead uh, over uh, Donald Trump. Uh, but that would be a cold comfort if uh, Joe Biden loses the electoral college vote. And in the states, the CNN uh, also broke out uh, the states, uh, 15 states they considered battleground states. And those were states that uh, uh, either that uh, Trump won or lost by uh, less than 4% in 2016. 
Uh, now, I think that's way too many battleground states. I doubt that many states will be seriously contested this fall. Uh, but though in the battle in CNN's battleground states, uh, Trump had a seven point lead, despite the fact uh, that he was five points behind nationally. And again, I think it speaks to the uh, uh, political divisions in this uh, country. Uh, what, what do you make of the CNN poll? I think we're looking at another election, much like the last, where it will be decided in a small number of states. And those states are the industrial Midwest, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida, and potentially Arizona. Um, The polls show those split between Biden and Trump and how that shakes out seems like it could determine the election. I mean... Heck, we could be looking at who wins the Western District of Maine, which goes yeah. off and uh, could decide the election if that one electoral college vote were to go to Trump again, um, if, if a certain alignment of states comes out, which seems entirely plausible. So it could be another nail biter. Yeah, it could be. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, it is. What's the show about Joe Biden? You know, I, you know, you could make a pretty good argument that the country's in pretty dire circumstances. Uh, you know, the 90, more than 90,000 people, have, Americans have died. Uh, I don't know, something like 40 million are unemployed. And despite that, this is uh, still a pretty competitive presidential race. That's uh, right. I mean, it's it's pretty shocking. Those statistics would seem to say that the incumbent is doomed. But this is an unusual situation. It's a, it's a virus, it's a disease, it's not something that you can easily blame on one person for causing. And President Trump has an unusual alliance with that you know, 40% of America, which just won't leave his side. And so it's gonna come out down to who comes out on election day. And if this virus is still around, could that work to his benefit? If people in cities, for example, are more afraid of going to the polls than people in rural areas? I mean, all these things that could come into play. Yep, uh, they'll stick with them hell or high water, and we have uh, plenty of both right now in the United States. Uh, Sean, thanks very much for joining us on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, We hope to have you back soon and talk about more uh, when we get back straight out of the pocket of progressive political panels. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Okay, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, we're going to, as is our custom, do our uh, provocative progressive political panel in this uh, second half hour with uh, Tara Devlin uh, of Tara Buster uh, yeah. and our own Mark Romaldi. Uh, but before then, um, I'm going to share a few thoughts on the presidential race. Uh, There's good news and bad news for Joe Biden in a new CNN survey. The good news for the presumptive Democratic nominee was his 51 to 46 percent national lead over Donald Trump. But Hillary Clinton and Al Gore found out the hard way that winning the popular vote is cold comfort 
while they watched George W. Bush and Donald Trump being inaugurated as president. The bad news for Biden in the same CNN survey was that the president was ahead of him, 52 to 45 percent, in the 15 states whose electoral votes will determine the next president. Three of those states are in the industrial Midwest. Simple math illustrates the importance of these purple states in 2020. The road to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue runs from the steel plants in western Pennsylvania through the car and truck factories of Michigan and Wisconsin. The path through the Rust Belt is dotted with smokestacks. Some are active while many have not fired up for years. Biden will need these three states in the industrial Midwest to build a foundation for majority in the Electoral College. Trump won states with 306 electoral votes in 2016, while Hillary Clinton tallied 232 votes. If Joe Biden can hold the states that Clinton won and add the 46 electoral votes of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, then he wins an electoral vote majority over Donald Trump. Trump won all three of these states, but they're the only three states in the union that, the, that he won by less than 1% of the vote. Furthermore, the Biden campaign will not take them for granted as Clinton did in the last presidential election. Hope is a precious commodity in the Rust Belt, but there are reasons to be optimistic that Biden can reclaim the solid blue wall in America's heartland that was reliably Democratic into 2016. Trump's margin of victory was narrow in all three states, even though Clinton paid little attention to Michigan and Wisconsin after the primaries. All three states elected Democratic governors two years later. One of those governors, Michigan's Gretchen Whitmer, is one of the women that Joe Biden is considering as a running mate. Whitmer's experience fighting the pandemic is the kind of crisis management background that Trump might value in a vice president who could play a key role in helping America recover from the medical and economic devastation caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. There are many seasoned Democratic women who Biden could add to his ticket to bolster his fortunes in the industrial Midwest. These candidates include Senators Amy Globuchar of Minnesota, Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, and Tammy Duckworth of Illinois. Baldwin is the only one of these three senators who represents one of the three key battleground states. In 2012, she became the first openly gay person elected to the United States Senate. With a progressive voting record, she could be a bridge between Biden and the voters who supported Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders uh, in the primaries. Duckworth has a great story to tell. She is an Army veteran of the war in Iraq who lost both of her legs there when a helicopter she was co-piloting was hit by a rocket-propelled grenade. Her combat experience and her seat on the Senate Armed Services Committee give her the national security credentials which a vice president or president badly needs. But the most prominent Midwestern woman on Biden's shortlist is Globuchar, and his choice may boil down to her and California Senator Kamala Harris, who are number one and two on many pundit vice presidential whist, whist lists. 
Despite the regional and racial differences, the two women have much in common. They both were incredible, if unsuccessful, presidential campaigns, and they positioned themselves as moderates, which would make them ideological soulmates for Biden. Both women have won the political triple crown and served in elective office at the local, state, and federal level. Experience at the three levels of American government is invaluable for vice president or president. Globishar served as the Hennepin County District Attorney, Hennepin County is Minneapolis and its suburbs, <clears throat> while Harris was the San Francisco prosecutor. Both women were their state's attorney generals and ascended to the U.S. Senate. A Midwesterner like Globishar could help Biden win the battleground states in America's industrial heartland. But there's more than one recipe for a victory <clears throat> meal in the Midwest. Biden also might help himself with an African-American running mate like Harris, who may gin up black turnout in Philadelphia, Detroit, and Milwaukee. A higher urban turnout could make a big difference in states that Trump won by less than 1% in 2016. Joe Biden has a tough choice to make, but, win it, but being a winning presidential candidate and a successful president is all about making the right choice, which Trump almost always fails to do. Okay, now we're going to our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, first on our panel today is our guest, and that would be Tara Devlin. Uh, Tara is a New York City-based comedian, writer, and founder of RepublicanDirtyTricks.com, also known as RTD Daily. Tara's unapologetically liberal weekly <coughs> podcast, Tara Buster, is recorded live every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern on the RT RDT daily Facebook and YouTube channels and replayed starting Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Progressive Voices. You can follow Tara at Tara. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Real Tara Devlin. That's Real T-A-R-A-D-E-V-L-I-N. And on Instagram at Pterodactyl, T-A-R-A-D-A-C-K-T-Y-L. Joining yeah. Tara on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on get-out-the-vote operations for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also involved in campaign uh -oh. finance reform and philanthropic efforts for cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark uh, uh, is Mark J Grimaldi. Welcome, panel. How are you doing today? All right. Thank you. Thank okay, you so much. Karen, let's start with you. All uh, right. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, one of the things uh, that I saw that was interesting in the new CNN poll uh, is a quite a reversal of fortunes uh, from what happened on election day in 2016. <clears throat> Uh, in the mm -hmm. CNN survey, uh, Joe Biden had a six-point lead among seniors over Trump. And in 2016, uh, Biden crushed mm -hmm. Clinton with seniors. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, in 2016, Hillary Clinton crushed uh, Donald Trump uh, among young voters. 
but in the new CNN survey, uh, Biden has a sl- only a slight lead among young voters. So it's mm. quite a reversal of fortunes. Yes. Uh, Biden is doing much better. <clears throat> than Clinton did with seniors, uh, and much worse uh, than she did among young people. First, why is Biden doing so much better than Clinton did among seniors? I think that Biden himself, he doesn't have the same baggage as, even though he's got baggage, but as far as Hillary Clinton is concerned. Everybody has baggage, even me. Yeah, I got baggage. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean... Okay, let's not get into it. We're, we're not talking about my ex-girlfriend. Yeah, when we right. go off here. <laughs> but, yeah, no, she, there was a 40-year cottage industry built up around Hillary Clinton. Hate. And yep. deserve it, undeservedly or deservedly, whatever you think, that, that can't be denied. And she, he doesn't have that coming to the table. That's probably, in my opinion, one of the only good things about Biden as far as the 2020 candidacy is concerned, because I really think that the DNC is replaying the 2016 playbook. And I'm really concerned about it. It should not be this close. It shouldn't have been even close in 2016. So it concerns me that it seems that the DNC didn't learn the lessons of 2016. Either they didn't learn it or they don't care. And that's part of the reason why we have a Twitler to begin with and why Biden is, uh, I mean, he's not really doing well with young people. He needs young people. Yeah, young people don't go and vote as older people. You need a, a broad coalition. And he's not inspiring because in my opinion, I mean, maybe people don't agree, but he's part of the reason why we these neoliberal policies that turn the United States from the most to the least upwardly mobile with the widest income gap of all our Western partners. This is the ground that seeded Twitler that made him possible. And when when you were speaking earlier about the Rust Belt, I hear that I hear the Rust Belt and I get heartbroken because that used to be called the manufacturing belt so they turned the the manufacturing heartland of america exactly and it's a disgrace that that we turned a section of our country from the manufacturing belt to the rust belt and it's no biggie okay we call it the rust belt i bet you young people don't even know why it's called the rust belt and as fdr said income insecurity this is the stuff of dictatorships and unfortunately my one of my heartbreaks is that we never got to we we have still yet to um bring the second bill of rights to fruition uh, as when fdr unfortunately died prematurely and we would have had um and one of his platforms was now that we've we're winning the war, we've won against fascism. Now we have to win the peace and ensure that an, a, another fascist dictatorship never rises again. And and it's happening here. This is happening here. There and I, you know, what it gets me annoyed about Democrats with Joe Biden picking uh, 
you know, these these Democrats think that they're going to win Republican voters if they just be if they act a little uh, Republican that, you know, the only reason FDR didn't get elected a fifth time was because he was dead. He lost he lost two states. And now we're talking about a squeaker with a an abysmal, a tax cheating, draft dodging dictator and being con man who's killed whose ineptitude has allowed not nearly 90,000, and God knows in a week, it'll be 90,000 Americans to die. I think it Needless- is already. It's up going up to 100,000 pretty soon. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I didn't see the latest reports because it's rising. It's going to get worse. And nowhere in the world, this is the other thing, with his incompetence, you don't see food bank lines in any other country. But this country, you don't see that we're on the verge of a depression. People are going out of business. This isn't happening anywhere else but here because they refuse to do anything about it. They don't want to pay the businesses to stay open. If you're in England or in Sweden, the damn Republicans always say, oh, let's use the Swedish model. Okay, let's use their model. Except let's have universal health care. Let's have guaranteed jobs. If you can't find a job in a year, the government puts you to work like we did in the WPA and the CCC. And uh, let's uh, come back and uh, join this discussion. But we've got to go to break now. We come back. We'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, with our panel, uh, progressive activist Mark Grimaldi and Tara Devlin of Arabusta. Yeah, okay. It's the Terrorbuster right there, so. <laughs> Mark. We love your Terrorbusters. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it gets me insane. Oh, my I God. I feel you. I feel you. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Okay, welcome back to Deadline. We're doing our provocative progressive political panel uh, with Tara Devlin and our own uh, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Mark, uh, what do you make of the uh, Joe, Joe? Let's face it, Joe Biden is Joe Biden. Um, That's the best way to put it. What do you think <laughs> Joe Biden can do? Uh, to improve his performance uh, with young voters, which in in, in the CNN poll we've been discussing, uh, he's barely leading Trump uh, with young people, although Biden does have a healthy lead among seniors. You know, I think uh, having supported Senator Sanders in 2016 in the primary and then obviously Hillary Clinton in the general election and then doing the same with Senator Sanders in this primary. Actually, it was uh, Senator Warren, then Senator Sanders, and then uh, Vice President Biden. Um, I think that talking to supporters of the different candidates throughout the process, which I like to also do because it helps inform my views, not just to listen to the candidates, but to listen to how (laughs) other Americans respond to the candidates, I think is really valuable, especially those who I know personally and respect, maybe, you know, even if I don't always agree with them, um, I know that they're good people, they're up on the news. I, I think that's very helpful. And things that 
got people excited uh, that I saw in the Democratic Party were the big, bold, aggressive ideas that we hadn't really heard before, or not on, on a main scale, that people like Senator Sanders and Senator Warren brought to the mainstream, not just talking about universal health care, mm-hmm. uh, Medicare for all, but also talking about things like free college or whether, however you want to scale it, free public universities, um, student loan forgiveness. These are very big, bold ideas that when you would have talked about them even just a few years ago, people would have looked at you like, just like, oh, you're a socialist, you know, whatever, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Now, these are actual ideas that have been debated vigorously in the Democratic primaries. And I think they are now becoming to Americans things that they could realistically see as policy and support and they understand how to present them to others, why they they should be supported. And they're asking candidates to support these ideas. That's a specific issue that Biden, Vice President Biden, has now supporting uh, after uh, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders talked to him about it after he was the presumptive nominee and you saw him come out and support that idea. And I think if he is presenting those ideas versus just having, you know, Senator Sanders or Senator Warren uh, campaign alongside him, those are the mm-hmm. things that get those voters excited, are actual pledges to make a difference in their lives with these big, bold, progressive policies. So I think that's a, a really good first step. And those are the things that I think are going to get people out to vote is if they really believe that this has a chance of happening. It may not be uh, the younger generation's first choice, but if he's supporting wholeheartedly uh, a lot of the policies that the mm-hmm. candidates that they supported uh, brought to the forefront, I think that goes a long way. Now, maybe not with every single voter who supported these candidates, but if he is passionately advocating for these things, I think that that's something that really could energize younger voters um, from from who I have spoken with anyway. Okay, uh, Tara, we've got about a minute. Uh, it seems to me that the relationship between Biden and Sanders is much better than the relationship between Sanders and Clinton in 2016, uh, the day after mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders got out of the race, said he would actively spend the next seven months helping mm-hmm. Joe Biden get elected president. Uh, last week, uh, Sanders and Biden jointly announced a uh, policy panel uh, that include uh, several notable uh, Sanders supporters. The most prominent, of course, was uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think Biden... I hate to do this, Brad, talk- but we got about 30 seconds if Tara wants to answer quickly. Okay, Tara? Yeah. Um, is he doing all... He, um, it's, it's a start, but he really needs to stop his um, saying things like he'll, he'll veto Medicare for all and whatnot. This is not about... Um, propping up corporations. We need to do this as patriotic imperatives to leave no one behind, finally. Uh, Tara, uh, Mark, thank you very much. I want to thank our guest, Sean uh, Sean Zeller of Congressional Quarterly Magazine, Tara Devlin of Tara Busta, and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. I'm here Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern time, if the Lord is willing and the creek don't (laughs) 
This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and don't drink the Kool-Aid or the disinfectant. I don't care what Trump says. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Come into CVS today and get free flu shots for the whole family. Plus, get a $5 off $20 shopping pass with each one. Visit CVS today. No-cost flu shots with most insurance. Restrictions apply. Visit CVS.com for details.